Today on the I-5 Corridor podcast, Aiden and I come to the conclusion that Justin Herbert is still a very good quarterback. And then I sit down with Sean Mager of OregonLive.com to talk about his 16 years uh, as a photographer shooting sports here in Portland. Uh, That's all coming up next on the I-5 Corridor. Listening to the I Five Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the I Five Corridor podcast. Tyson Alger here, joined by Aiden Schneider. It is a Oregon Ducks bye week, but we're not going to take this time off. Although this is coming out a few days later than usual, we're busy. It happens. Aiden, how are you doing today, man? Doing good. I'm uh, I'm still riding high off that Chargers win. The the Herbert performance was super cool to see, and it won me my fantasy game as well. So it's a good start to the week. How about you? Is it? A, yeah, I'm, I'm doing pretty good, too. I actually, uh, um, I, had, I had a story about Herbert up this morning kind of diving into. It's funny, man. Like, anytime he has a good game, like, it's still, like, half the course online is, like, why didn't this happen, happen at Oregon? And one, I think it's funny because like the Ducks were pretty good when he was there, but then two, it's just, you know, I, I think we all saw what we saw with, with the kind of how the offense worked and it wasn't as opened up as uh, maybe it is for some of the other players, uh, contemporaries, but um, that's a long winded answer of saying, I'm doing good, man. I, I had a good trip to Wisconsin last week, um, was uh, sneaking peeks at the, uh, the Oregon Stanford game on that Saturday. You and I were texting throughout that thing. I uh, I still know don't know what to think of that one. That was <laughs> like like I, I think I think we're both in the camp that if, if uh, and boy I'm I'm really kind of picking up that Wisconsin accent too. Um, I think we're both in the camp that if you were to tell us that the Ducks would have been four and one at the bye week, we uh, would have said they probably would have taken that like in a heartbeat. But just uh, that was a weird yet another weird Stanford game. Yeah, for sure. I think. Four and one sounds great, but it's it's unfortunate the way it had to happen. You'd, you'd think Ohio State's probably going to be the loss, and Stanford would probably be a win. But uh, I think Oregon, they did a lot of good things in that game. A lot has been made of the officiating on the last drive, which was, I mean, everyone knows it was horrible. But I think to be the third-ranked team in the country, I think it's pretty clear that you shouldn't even be in that position on the last drive in a game like that with Joe Moorhead being out um, and and that being such a a last minute thing that definitely didn't help. But I think there's a a lot Oregon needs to improve on. Well, that's the thing is you do have to give them a little bit of credit of, you know, finding out like five hours before the game, the guy that's going to be calling your plays isn't going to be there. Um, That's tough. And, And there is kind of like a chain of command that they go through, uh, to kind of have contingency plans for those situations. But, uh, you know, right before the game, you know, no matter how prepared you are, that's going to make a little bit of a difference. But watching that game, that's not why they lost that game. I mean, there were there were winnable plays. Uh, you know, there was the Anthony Brown non-pitch to C.J. Verdell that probably could have gotten in there. There was there was some weird time management stuff. Um, and it's just it's just another example of like Stanford being just good enough to like hang around, hang around and hang around and be in that game and, and Oregon not being able to put them away. So um, in one regard, it's great for them that the bye week's here. 
and they're able to like heal up, especially that defense that's had trouble getting getting off the field and getting off the field in one piece. But uh, that's got to be a tough one, like going into a bye week with a loss, though, right? Like, does that does that just hang for for two weeks in the locker room after this, after something like that? Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to get past because you don't have the immediacy of you know after the game's over one day flush it. You're watching film with the next opponent and getting right into game week. So it's it's definitely gonna be frustrating, and I think, like you said, they have a lot of things they need to clean up, and in some ways that's a really good thing that they have the time to do that. But uh, I think there'll definitely be some added frustration and motivation heading into the Cal game. How how much how much would you look forward to bye weeks? Uh, a little bit. It's honestly game weeks are fun. The bye weeks it's not that great. You're still practicing. You might get a little bit of time off, but you're still coming to the building every day. It's pretty much the same. I think, I think it was probably, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I've always looked at them from like that. This is my job perspective. And it's like, sweet. I get to do something on a Saturday. What, what was the first, when you finished up college football, what was like the first thing that you did on like a football Saturday that you couldn't do for like the previous, like four years, like, like, were you excited for like a fall wedding to go to? Like, did you, did you like go to a farmer's market? <laughs> uh, I did none of those things. I was actually just super excited to be able to watch football as a fan with no stress. Just sit on the couch with some friends, hang out, watch the games and and just not have a care in the world about it. Because when you're playing, it's it's fun to keep up with everything. But, you know, it's it's hard to really get too into it when you have your own games to think about. Let's 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 ratchet this up a little bit. Does Oregon need to make a quarterback change, Aiden? Uh, that's a tough one. I would lean toward yes, but to be fair, uh, you know, we saw Ty Thompson for a half <laughs> against Stony Brook. So it's it's hard to say what that really indicates and if that would translate to playing Pac-12 competition, but I think there's been enough lack of production that I think the question really needs to be asked seriously. What do you yeah, think? I, I'm in the camp of like, ideally, yes. But then again, like, like all these coaches want to win now. And, and I know there's a lot of like thinking about like what might be good for the program, like a couple of years from now or like in the future, but like Joe Moorhead wants to win these games. Like he, he's trying to get another head coach job. There's a lot of assistants that are wanting to look as, as good as possible. And so what I begin to think is, is if it was an easy situation, like a, an easy plug in, in play, whereas where Ty Thompson was ready to take that leap, like I would have figured they would have done that that last game. And, and, and maybe maybe it's it's hard to do that with your offensive coordinator in the hospital, not to make light of, of Joe's situation at all. But um, I just wonder if, if the other guys are quite ready yet. Or, or if, if it's just still too early in the season, I, I think everyone just kind of um, forgets like how crazy it was for someone like Justin in 2016 to be able to like just do that almost seamlessly um, mid-season. I mean, granted, Washington did put 70 up on on Oregon in his first start, but Justin doesn't play play defense. But um, yeah, I, I think. I don't know. I I think that if, if they don't make a move, it just shows that they think that Anthony's still the, the what they think is the best option to win games. But I mean, if if they were to lose another one, I think they have to, right? Because I mean, like he's not going to be here in the future. And then you have three freshmen, 
like might as well just see what they got because like if you like you're probably going to lose one of them anyways to transfer down the road as it, as it goes like might as well like like just see right yeah i think with you know anthony brown definitely does do some good things but i just think there's a, a real lack of down the field passing you know oregon has hit some big pass plays um like they hit one to Jalen red against Arizona that went for a touchdown. And then they had that, that long run after catch from Micah Pittman against Stanford. But it seems like all of the longer pass plays are really just plays within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage where you get the ball in an athlete's hands and they make a play. And I think that that really just leads to issues, especially in the second half when, you know, the defense gets to tighten down a little bit. They're, they're running Anthony Brown a lot and especially losing CJ Verdell um, in the second half of that game. It just, it really tightens the run game up and, and we really saw the offense have some issues towards the end of the Stanford game. In, in 16, was it, and, and I know that, you know, I was there and, and I heard like the interviews with, uh, I think it was Carrington who was like the first one to really like start pumping the tires of like, oh, we got this guy Herbert in practice who's, who's going to be, he's the best out of everyone. Like, did you guys all know that like he was ready like pretty darn early or, or just like how how surprising was it like within the locker room when when he just essentially kind of had success right out of the gate it really wasn't that surprising to most people um when he showed up you know i know he was super under recruited like i think he had montana state nevada and oregon something like that like i know he broke his leg in high school so he wasn't highly recruited, but when he showed up on campus, I think it was maybe even the first seven on seven session or, or one of the first few, like in the first week, uh, all the DBs were just like, Herbert's really good. Like they watched <laughs> throw the ball four or five times. And we had a uh, Dakota Prukop at the time. And I remember Arion spring specifically just saying he Herbert's better than Dakota like right off the bat, he knew. And I think as camp went, you know, he was a great story. Um, I don't think anyone expected him to play as a freshman, but that just kind of grew. And, and the confidence was there throughout the locker room really pretty quickly. So once he got his opportunity, I think everyone was fully behind him and, and expected him to do well. Man, it was, it was so crazy watching that game on Monday because the, the announcers brought up the fact that, um, like he wasn't supposed to start last year, like the whole tie rod thing and the punctured one. Like, I, I wonder, like, cause like at this point, like this it's it's changed from the discussion of like, is he an NFL starter to like, is he like a top 10 to top five guy? Like he's, he's legitimately that established. And it, it's crazy to think that like under their best case scenario, like he might still be on the bench. Like if it wasn't for like a, a crappy doctor. <laughs> yeah. That's it's so funny how that happens sometimes that, uh, little bit of a different situation but it kind of reminds me of my college career where I had a, a a freak um injury situation just insert me into the lineup and who knows what would happen besides that obviously in Herbert's case he was going to play eventually but I don't think anyone expected him to <laughs> be in the the top 10 top five discussion at the beginning of his second year so it's been pretty amazing to watch he he and Marcus both had the same pre pre draft stupid criticism of like they're quiet. Are they are they a good leader? Are they too nice to do this? Like you were around both of those guys, and 
I have to imagine that that was, I mean, we, we've heard Mario talk about it multiple times with Herbert of, of like, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard, but just how are those two kind of similar in, in the, the overall like kind of locker room regard of, of those guys as leaders of your guys' teams? Yeah, they had a lot of similarities. And I remember early on, some of the trainers were talking about this. I think it was probably Herbert's first fall camp, but they were just saying like, he's got so much Marcus in him. He reminds us so much of him. And they were both just kind of quiet guys um, who just lead by example. And I know I feel like people in the draft process were saying like, oh, that's an excuse. You need to be vocal and stuff. But hopefully that criticism will be put to rest because both those guys were absolutely loved by all their NFL teammates. Like you hear guys talk about them in interviews. They're like, we would do any for anything for this guy. And we knew he'd do the same for us. And it reminds me of in the NBA, there was a story a while back about the Phoenix Suns in a pre-draft interview. They were talking to Kawhi Leonard and he's pretty high on their list. And they decided to pass on drafting him because he was sweating too much and looked nervous in his pre-draft interview. So I, I hope uh, for their sakes that teams can stop talking them out of picking incredible athletes for, uh, for dumb reasons that don't seem to pan out. Man, at this uh, this wedding I officiated this past weekend, I uh, the Midwest is is a little bit more humid than uh, the West Coast here, and and it wasn't even like that hot. But I I put the white shirt on like way way too early. I was sweating through it, maybe even like forty five minutes before the ceremony. It was just it was just a it was a mess, man. You're not getting drafted. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to be playing for the Phoenix Suns this year. Um, give me a quick uh, give me a quick Timbers update. Well, since uh, it's our first soccer podcast, the Timbers have been on an absolute tear. They, they turned the season around. Uh, Gio Savarese was right on the edge of the hot seat. He's completely safe. Um, they've been stacking up road wins, and I believe they're fourth in the Western Conference right now. So, yeah, yeah, I just I just looked that up. They're they're fourth, which I believe when we checked in last, they were a spot outside outside of the playoffs right. so um you know between them and then uh the success that the mariners had post uh corridor podcast uh you know if, if anyone is looking for a, a bump in uh, either the play of the, their team or maybe uh financial situations uh you know come our way get it now while it's free <laughs> we get uh, i i i I love this time of year though, because you get just you just get the overlap of you know Timbers college football. I I love playoff baseball, so that's always fun when it's on TV. Um, and then uh, basketball is right around the corner. I'm I'm pretty excited for this Blazer season. I know that we had kind of a Blazer centric podcast last week with Quick, but um, just we have Sean Mager from the Oregonian and Oregon Live up next, and. and um, he was at the Blazers preseason game this weekend and uh, just kind of like seeing the pictures and, and having people back inside the Moda. It, it's it's going to be a fun time here in town here in the next couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. I think I'm super excited for the Blazers season. And the thing that really interests me is it seemed like the whole Damian Lillard situation turned a corner really quickly from him being super frustrated and wanting roster upgrades to at least the public facing message being that he's all in. I'm really curious how much that's going to hold up if the team struggles a little bit this year, 
or how much he's really on the same page with management about those roster upgrades because they're definitely going to need to make some moves in order to uh, really make a run at the championship. And like the Dame thing this summer was like slightly uncomfortable, I guess, for like like the Blazers and him involved and like that sort of stuff. And it was, you know, a news story for a couple of weeks. But that's ultimately like what it ended up being. Like this isn't like, I mean, could you imagine being like a Brooklyn fan and like having to deal with like Kyrie and like that whole situation right now or, or like Philly and Ben Simmons, just like these guys like. I mean, the Ben Simmons thing is is a whole different thing because it's performance based, but like, like seeing like the Nets and like potentially having like Kyrie play like ha- like part time or like changing where they're going to be practicing, like say what you will about Dame and like I, I think he was warranted in, in at least having at least like one summer of like semi drama, but at least it's like so much more professional than like the drama across the league. Yeah, it could always be worse. And when it comes to the Kyrie thing. Like, do you, at what point do you just get rid of him? Like, I know, I know he's a great talent, and it it kind of sounds silly at first, but I almost think as far as just continuity with the team, you'd want to have your group of guys you're rolling with, and if if he's not going to be there all the time, just cut him. Well, and like, like if you're KD, like you're probably just looking at it like, like what are you doing, man? Like. <laughs> Like, like we, we have like a really good opportunity here and like Kyrie's phenomenal. Like I really, really enjoy watching him play, but I mean, he's not at the same level as KD or Harden. And like, I, like, I don't know if he, he knows that too. Cause like the, the amount of like strain he puts on a franchise is, is usually only reserved for like the like absolute like top five players in the league. And I, I don't think he's one of them. Yeah. I, I just don't, I don't know. I mean, Wiggins, had a similar situation but he did end up deciding to get vaccinated so i kind of don't think Kyrie will i just have this feeling that he's he's going to stick to his guns on this one this this is a much different uh uh situation because just the roster size but like having been in like a locker room with like a hundred people obviously not during the vaccination time, but like how hard is it do you think to like get that everyone on the same page for just like something like, like that. And just, especially just with like how different backgrounds, just like everyone's coming from and, and different beliefs and all that. Like I, I imagine, I imagine this last year's had to have been a nightmare for like coaches in front office to like try to do that sort of thing. Oh, super tough. Anytime you have that big of a group of people, like, like you're saying, obviously not to do with vaccination, but, just remember when there are certain things that would happen, you think like, oh, this is the, there's an obvious reaction to something like everyone else probably feels how I feel about this. And then you hear people talking about it and it's, it's like not even close. Like when we had the whole uh, Taggart death workout thing that we talked about with, (laughs) I remember thinking like we had this, uh, we had this guy come in from the athletic department to do like an, some sort of investigation. He was kind of talking to people on the team, trying to, to suss out what the story actually was. And I was like, okay, it's, it's pretty clear these workouts were really bad. Like this is unacceptable to be happening. Something's gonna be done about this. And I thought everyone would feel that way. And then like the guy was talking to us about it and there were people like <laughs> yelling from the back of the theater and as we were leaving, people were talking about how like people are just out of shape. They're just not ready for the intensity. 
I was like, what is going on? So yeah, people's opinions on things are just all over the place. And when you got a team of a hundred plus people, you get pretty much every opinion you can think of. Uh, how, how many times in a room full of the whole team did you ever like say anything? Uh, when I wasn't forced to, not a lot. I wasn't, I wasn't the <laughs> most uh, vocal, outspoken guy on the team, if you can imagine. You're doing that like, hey, come on, guys. Like, <laughs> exactly. Uh, okay, the uh, last last thing I'll ask you about here before we uh, jump in with Sean, and, and we do cover the Beavers game a little bit more in there, but Oregon State's 4-1. and one. Like, they, they handled – a stressful win against Washington and obviously Washington's had their ups and downs, but in terms, in terms of talent. talent difference, uh, substantial talent deferential in those rosters. Like that's another good win for Oregon state. They're playing a pretty exciting brand of football. Uh, that's probably a more exciting four and one for those fans than like the four and one that ducks have right now. Right. For sure. And I think that's not a, that hasn't been common in the last few years. Um, when you talk about Oregon and Oregon State, but it's it's fun. Like when the Beavers are good, the Pac-12 is more fun. It's more interesting. And I I hate to admit this, but I wasn't that much of a football fan growing up. And I always rooted for the Beavers and the Ducks to do well. That's changed a little bit now. But when you have a civil war or whatever it's called now, I'm not quite up to date on the terminology. <laughs> but when you have that game at the end of the year. Uh, with both teams having something to play for, it's it's just such a fun added element that that hasn't been there a lot recently. Well, and that was something that you didn't really get. And, and granted, like you know, you your team did lose to them once, but like there was never. I mean, it's been essentially since like a decade since like those teams played where both actually had something like on the line at at the time. And um, I, I think within like the last decade, like the the Washington. Oregon, or Oregon, Washington has maybe become more of a of a bigger rivalry or has more vitriol to it. But um, I, I just I, I want to that's like one of the one things that I haven't experienced as like an Oregon reporter yet is like just like that festive like day after Thanksgiving, like both teams in the state playing for something. Um, and it really looks like we could be heading for that right now, whether it being you know, Oregon still if Oregon runs to the table, like they're still going to have a chance at the, the playoff and Oregon State at this point is it doesn't look like they're just going to make a bowl game like they could be in play for a haul I mean some pretty big stuff if, if they keep if they keep winning like this yeah it's it's really exciting time to be a beaver fan and it's kind of funny so one of the things I didn't realize prior to showing up at Oregon I was under the impression that Oregon State was the big rivalry and Washington was kind of the other game but inside the program it was actually completely flipped. Uh, maybe that's I know Oregon had beaten Washington and Oregon State for a bunch of consecutive years at one point um, until that was snapped <laughs> in crazy fa fashion with that 70 to 21 game. But really, Washington has been the big focus um, from inside the program. And so it'd be pretty cool to see that kind of swing back the other way, which it seems to have done so far. How, how much of, you, of that do you think is still kind of like the like there's still a little bit of a chip on the shoulder I feel because like whenever you see like these like national stories of like what's the better job you know you've seen that a lot recently with like USC out there and like Oregon and it still seems like no 
even though that the Oregon program has been at a more successful level than both Washington and USC for going on the last decade, that is like, I think that just the fact that it's in Seattle and it's like the big city versus like Eugene, like, I, I think there's like just a little bit of that going towards it because I mean, frankly, like the Ducks really haven't had a rival for the last decade other than Stanford, <laughs> like, like who, in terms of somebody that's actually like consistently foiled them uh, at, at times. Yeah. And I think the, what Cristobal is doing, especially recruiting wise is, is kind of going to change the dynamic with how the Oregon job is viewed nationally, just because he's been able to prove that you really can recruit with the, the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the, the Floridas, all those guys and get kids to come to Eugene, which hasn't always happened in the past. And that's not to say Oregon hasn't gotten good recruits, but it's, it's definitely a different level going on right now. Well, the, uh, the Ducks are back on the schedule next week. They got a Friday game against Cal. That's always a, a, a fun one just because of the links that the Cal staff has now with, with kind of Oregon and its history with Wilcox coaching there. Um, kind of been a, a bit of a struggle for them so far. A, a team that always kind of feels like that they're close, but, you know, we'll, we'll – still looks like it's going to be a couple couple weeks out but it's a it's a friday night game or sorry a couple years out but friday night game those ones are always kind of a little spooky it seems like so um yeah like i i still feel good about this oregon team but i i do think that uh i think winning that ohio state game probably probably accelerated expectations beyond um maybe what this roster was uh initially uh deserving of just just because it they need to have a more consistent offense, man. <laughs> like, like they just got to be able to put some drives together and, and, and strike downfield. If I think they're going to be able to, to run this pack 12 table here. Yeah. I think that's still very much in play on, on the broadcast. They were showing the uh, Oregon's percentage chance of winning in the games, the rest of the way. And, you know, that could change a little bit in the coming weeks, but, I don't think there's any games that they should lose. And we know that that doesn't mean that they won't lose them because that seems to happen every year. But I think it's definitely a possibility for them to run the table and really be in that playoff conversation. Well, we'll be back next week to uh, to preview that. Uh, but coming up now, we have uh, Sean Mager. We're going to talk just a little bit about his 16-year career covering sports in uh, the city of Portland. All right, next up on the I-5 Corridor podcast, really, uh, really fun guest, uh, a guy that I worked with uh, for almost seven years at the Oregonian, and now actually looking at his resume, that's only a fraction of the time he's actually been here. Uh, Sean Mager from the Oregonian, he's a photographer, videographer, he writes a bit, he kind of just does, what What don't you do these days over there, Sean? Uh, well, th fortunately, they removed me from the writing portion of things, so I don't really have to do that, do that much anymore. That was probably my least favorite of uh, everything I, I was doing or am doing. But uh, yeah, uh, now that you mention it, I think this month or last month was 16 years since I started at Oregon Live back in 05, you know, hammering uh, volleyball scores and doing Friday Night Football spotlight shows. And it, it was it was pretty funny just just doing a little bit of looking back at this and um your youtube page is just an incredible archive of uh old you mike richmond and tim brown coverage uh the uh you, you guys have a video from like 2010 of uh, a papa soul food in eugene rest in peace yeah um 
uh, I, I don't know. I, I I just always remember you guys uh, gearing out for those uh, those season preview high school road trips and yeah. like shoot, you guys were gone for like nearly the entire month of July, <laughs> July doing those things. Yeah, we would we would hit the road for a couple of weeks. You know, go through all the way out east to uh, maybe not as far as Hermiston, but Hood River, Hood River Valley, and the Dalles, and all the way down to uh, Medford and, you know, parts in between from Ben to Eugene to Roseburg and everything and doing those kind of week by week camp tours and hitting two a days, both in, in the literal and physical sense, we would, we would go to one school for their morning practice and then another school for the evening practice. And yeah, we got to know uh, a lot of local, uh, places to eat and you know got got to tour some some towns that we probably wouldn't hit if it weren't for the the weekly or the summer tour that we would do every august i i always thought that was so intimidating because when i when i started as an intern at the oregonian like you guys were like such a like a well-oiled machine in terms of like just your planning and, and the coverage and um man like and, and obviously like things change as the industry does but like the the, the whole like preps operation back then was like such a beastly beastly thing between yeah. like what you guys were doing at Oregon Live with the combination of Oregonian. Um, and I, it's, it's fascinating to me of, of kind of like how you started there. And now you've kind of like pigeonholed yourself as what I think is like one of the best sports photographers in, in the city. And I was just looking at your Instagram and the, just this past weekend, you shot the Oregon State game, you shot the Timbers game, you shot the Blazers preseason game. Like, are, are you at all surprised that like, this is what, like how your careers like evolve or what this is what's kind of your careers evolved into as just kind of mainly just like a, a shooting guy? Yeah. Uh, yes. If you would have asked me, you know, 15, 16 years ago, or even like when I was finishing up at U of O and kind of trying to figure out, all right, this is going to get real. I'm going to have to get a job. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just knew I wanted to be around sports and I was always a voracious user of Oregon live and would listen to the quick chats all throughout college and read Jason stuff all the time. And, and the Ducks coverage when I was down there and, you know, just anything to kind of consume the local landscape. And then I applied with Oregon Live and it was just kind of a high school uh, part-time gig. And then going through so many things and working on so many different uh, teams and just, you know, from blogging to actually going to games to doing video stuff, uh, being the, the Blazers blogger and the Blazers video person for Oregon Live. And then when the Oregonian and Oregon Live merged into 2013 and we officially became one company, even though we were always under the same umbrella, uh, I was then put on the Oregon State video beat. And so I would go down to practices and go to the games and get post-game audio and interview Mike Riley and go on the road to Boulder and Arizona State and down to LA for SC games. And, and I thought that, you know, I, just keep me doing something around sports that I can, I can <laughs> right. enjoy it and working with the people that I like. And then, you know, as the industry changes and people leave and opportunities open up and photography has always been something that I've been interested in. Uh, and then I just kind of uh, taught myself how to do it uh, by following other people around me like Bruce and, you know, just yeah. kind of watching and learning and, and just figuring it out. Well, well, so like how much, uh, like was that because essentially you became the Oregonians de facto go-to sports photographer after Bruce Ely left, and mm -hmm. I mean, for those who aren't listening, Bruce Ely is probably the best. I think he's the best sports photographer in America. Like he's yeah, he's absolutely fantastic, and it's not just because he's a Montana Grizzly, um, <laughs> uh, but uh, 
no, he, he was absolutely fantastic for the Oregonian and now he works for the Blazers. Um, I imagine like that was probably not the most ideal situation to jump like right into the deep end of like trying to replace someone like Bruce on staff on staff. Yeah. And I mean, we had uh, Tom Boyd was still on staff and Randy and some guys, but it, it was kind of you were seeing the shift where photographers were kind of the sport on the sports side, at least leaving um, for other opportunities. And it kind of just fell into my lap and I wasn't exactly like, oh, I can do this. You know, I can replace these guys and, and go out and shoot a Blazers game, which I had never shot Blazers game before. The closest I had come is shooting, you know, like high school sports football games or volleyball games or the Les Schwab Invitational stuff so, like that. And, and you step into the big different light, lighting in those. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like high school. You're like, oh, I can just figure it out and have fun with it. And then they're like, hey, you want to go shoot Blazers? And it's like, oh, uh, sure. Okay. And so there was definitely a very, very steep learning curve um, for me. But uh, there's so many great photographers that work in the city for different wire services or for the teams. And they're so willing to help each other out and, you know, give tips or, you know, pat you on the back when you get a good shot or anything like that. So I just kind of learned from watching those guys and, you know, studying photographers and just being a, a photography fan myself and just like seeing what people do. And you kind of just take little bits and pieces from what you see of other people and you kind of borrow and make stuff your own, but it's, it's really all, it, and it, it involves, I think the, the process of photography shooting, like the way things look is it's all going to be kind of basic, but it also evolves with, you know, how people are looking at things because of Instagram and it's pushed that stuff so much far for further forward and gets it to more eyeballs and you see how people are doing things stylistically and you're kind of like, Oh, that's cool. I want to try something like that. And, uh, I don't know what your question was, but yes. <laughs> well, well, do you remember the first Blazers game you shot? I do. I think it was a, uh, Boston Celtics regular season game. Uh, shoot. I don't even, it was, it was posts like Paul Pierce and all those guys. Um, okay. so it was probably young Tatum and Avery Bradley and some, and yeah. And my shots were really wide and I didn't really know the best way to crop or, you know, the, the trickiest thing, and I think this was true with every sport when you're when you're first kind of getting the hang of it, is the speed of the athletes and just like they're coming directly at you, which is a good thing because you want to get pictures of them. But to try and capture just the right moment and which direction they're going to cut or run or pass or anything like that, that's the I would say the biggest learning curve is picking up where the athletes are going so you know where to point your camera and, sh and press the the shutter I, I I've always that's the thing that I've always respected the most out of, of of what you guys do is I think if you give anyone who like knows how to use a camera like that space on the floor and give them you know the whole game like they'll get one or two photos that they can use that probably look pretty cool but like yeah. the, the true separators between like the really good sports photographers and, and just you know non-professionals is not only like having like the like a usable photo, but having it of being of like that key moment or of like that big play or um, uh, of, of just like capturing that moment. And, and you guys, you guys have all gotten so darn good at that. And it's, it's a, it, and it's, it's fun kind of listening to you talk about styles. Cause I was just scrolling through your Instagram ac account and I really wanted to ask you like, where, like, is like the eighties filter in right now? Like that seems like <laughs> that's kind of like, like, where did that come from? I, I dig it. Like I saw your, 
um, you did one uh, on like Verone McKinley, and it was kind of like a, a like a three. Um, yeah, kind of double exposure kind of. Yeah, look. double exposure, and and it looks freaking sweet. But like, like, tell me a little bit of just about like what's kind of that style is that that's going around right now. Yeah, that um, I I guess kids these days, uh, <laughs> you know, the trendsetters out there, the influencers. Uh, there's so many apps, and there's so many different ways to play with photos and have fun with them, and you know, put different filters in, or add some grain, or add some noise, or add some light or double exposure or chroma and just so many ways to play with things. And I, I download apps or I see people that have apps. I'm like, Hey, which one's that? And just kind of play with it and have fun with it and go tight shots. Or, you know, you can do the collage thing or scroll where you have different photos and they look like they're all connected to one. And, uh, I don't know. There's just, there's just a lot of ways to play with photography anymore and make it look, you can take a pretty basic photo and make it look so much cooler than it actually is just with a few edits just to make it look fun. Well, well, well how, how fun is that? Cause I mean, obviously like journalism in itself is a pretty like uh, vanilla operation where, I mean, other than like making sure your photos exposed, right? you're not doing a whole lot of post editing, like you're not slapping a filter on there. So it's probably fun to like, take those and be able to play with them kind of artistically a little bit more on, yeah. on some of your social platforms. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's a good comparison. There is only so much you can do with, with that medium. Whereas this, there's a lot of different ways to do the post edit and, and really make it prettier than, you know, just when you're writing something, it's, it's going to be as good as the words and the effort you put into it and the story you're telling, you're not going to be able to slap a bunch of filters onto it or crop it like this. And, you know, double exposure, uh, your profile on Mario Cristobal or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And I doubt he's jumping into the comments too, to say like this, this looks. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Hey, great, great piece. Thanks. Uh, I, I want to ask you in a second about, uh, um, shooting the beavers this last weekend, but, uh, this actually just popped in my, into my head in, in the realm of impressive, Portland related sports performances. Peyton Pritchard's 92 points at the Portland Pro Am ranks where? <laughs> Oof. Uh, let's see. Dame's game winner over the Thunder. That was, <laughs> that's probably, that, that's up there. Uh, I would put Pritchard, yeah, he, he's, that's right, right there. 92 at a Pro, Pro Am a bunch, against a bunch of uh, former college athletes. It's, that's good. You, you, you covered a, a lot of his career from just like shooting this time at West Lynn to the Oregon yeah. Ducks. Uh, you, me, and Andrew Greif had ourselves a pretty fun time at the Final Four in Arizona. Uh -huh. um, Dave's on Northern. I don't know if I would recommend <laughs> anybody end up there, but if you do, don't get the tamales. Um, <laughs> but like, is he, was he, is he kind of like the, Dame's obviously the most known, known Portland athlete, but he's not, you know, from like, is, yeah. is Pritchard right now kind of like the front and center, like born and bred, like Oregonian athlete? Uh, it'd be hard to find anybody else that. Oh, wait, I guess there is Justin Herbert still, but if we're, if we're yeah. talking hoops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and you said Portland too. He's Eugene. Obviously, Justin is, you know, Justin's doing what he does. And you wrote that piece today about, you know is comparing his college career and his to some of his con contemporaries right now in the NFL. Uh, yeah. Justin has got to be up there. I mean, we, we were both kind of doing high school stuff and both those guys are in high school and then moved into the college ranks. And 
I mean, we watch them. I, I watched Pritchard and yeah, he was, he was an incredible high school athlete and, and such a great basketball player and won four state championships. And then you know, it looked like he was going to Oklahoma where his dad played. And then Dana comes in and, and convinces him to stay in Oregon. And you always love to see those homegrown players kind of stay home and, and have success, you know, at a, at a school in state. Uh, and Justin is the same way with, you know, you hear buzz about this kid out of Eugene and then he breaks his leg and then he comes back and he's as good, if not better than he was, but he wasn't getting any of the hype. And then he goes on to Oregon and just starts as a freshman. And uh, those two, I, I would say covering high school sports like we did and then college and probably a couple of the most impressive stories to come out of this state in the last decade or so, for sure. How did Oregon State look this last weekend? It, it, it's, it's I always think it's funny, like, I, I, there's there's like maybe like three or four people that kind of do the rounds on the radio interviews. And I, and I can't imagine that, you know, you go on Gonzano all that much and get asked <laughs> no. about uh, Oregon State's <laughs> offense. But out, out of all of us, like, you're on the field the entire time. Like, you get a kind of a unique perspective on on the duck. I mean, you've shot the Ducks this year. You shot the Beavers. Like, what, what was it like being at Reeser for... Uh, them winning a game at the horn against a, a talented Washington team. Like just what, take me into that environment on, on Saturday. Yeah. It, and it, it's been a while since that place has been like that. I mean, when I started doing Oregon state stuff in 2013 and I was up in the press box during games and then doing video afterwards, but that was back when Riley and like Manny and, and those guys, and they had some, some pretty good teams back then with cooks, um, but this team is the clearly the best team they've had in a long time. Uh, and you asked me when you said, how did they look? My first thought was determined. Hmm. Um, I think that, that that win over USC a couple of weekends ago gave them so much confidence. And I don't feel like that they really feel like they, they're gonna lose to anybody. You know, of course they're going they're probably going to suffer another loss this year. I mean, this is the Pac-12 after all. Uh, and they are still, you know, in what year three of Jonathan Smith, year four or whatever it is. And he's, he's still building this thing. Um, but they, they're confident. I think they play really, really hard and, uh, they are pretty efficient on offense. Uh, I think that they, they always seem to, I mean, you might throw the Purdue game out of this one, but they seem to have a really good game plan and, Man, Smith is creative with his his running plays. He's creative in the passing game. He's doing some of that Riley fly sweep stuff that we got used to seeing under him. Um, they have guys that a couple of Oregon kids on that team, you know, Anthony Gould, uh, West Salem. And he comes in. He hasn't played the entire game. He comes in, in the fourth quarter. He gets two play calls. Both of them are, are receptions, and he ends up getting, I think, 50 yards on a couple of pass plays. And he just comes in and makes an impact in that that set up that last field goal along with a couple of uh, running plays, but they just, they look, they look good. They look better than they have in a long time. They have an identity on offense. They play really, really hard on defense. Um, they have some really good linebackers and Reeser was about as fired up and, and crowded and into it as I've seen it in a long time. And I'm not at every single game, but I've been at a number of games the last few years and it was, it felt like the reser of the, the mid two thousands or around the tens when they had, you know, upset specials going all the time. So, so that's what I was going to follow up with you is because 
Oregon State has not been a good football team since I've lived in this state, which is going on. Uh, I moved here in 2012. You know, it's it's it's, it's been a while. I, I, caught, I, I caught the I caught the tail end of like some of like the decent Riley years, but just yeah. at, at at no point have I experienced that rivalry between Oregon and Oregon State, where both teams are actually like up and running at at their full yeah. capacity, and. Uh, I think that would be such like a, a fun little gift for this year and maybe even going, cause I mean like the way Smith's building this thing, it's almost kind of like, I, I'm not going to say the opposite of the way the ducks are, but like this is an Oregon state roster that has very few heralded recruits. It, it's sure. It's been, yeah. a, it's been a very kind of slow buildup. Whereas mm -hmm. like Oregon's was mass talent accumulation, like right away. And like, like let's, let's turn the, let's completely transform the roster. And so it's, it's it's fascinating to see two teams that uh, should be positioned to kind of butt heads against each other in this conference for the next couple of years going forward. Yeah, I, I would think so, especially if Oregon State continues to win and really is building its identity the way that it is, and they're going to you know start getting a few more looks than they probably would two or three years ago. I was at the last. I was in the stands. The, I think the last Civil War, the War for the Roses, the one with uh, Masoli and Blunt comes in at the end. And that was the last one that really counted um, and meant right. something. And it would be it would be fun to see it be like that again. I mean, what are we supposed to call it now? Have they picked a name? I, I, just the football game? You know, it, it's Yeah, it's, it's like the Washington football team. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because like, like they – they they announced that they were dropping civil war from it around like july of last year and then yeah and then i think they realized or i, I don't know there was they had a lot of other things to worry about in the next year going forward <laughs> yeah. that I, I yeah. don't know i don't know if that jumped right to the front of it but I, yeah i'd be fine with just the football game the football uh, game my, my just my hope for it though is uh I think the one thing that and, and you can kind of chime in on this too because you're you're a uo grad um you know you're very well versed in, in Oregon fandom but it's where Oregon's at as a program is is fascinating because now it's like one of those things where they pick up a loss like they did last week to Stanford and half the fan base is just like season's done we're not making it to the playoffs <laughs> like none of this matters and and so you do have like the increasingly like sky ridiculously sky high expectations of Oregon fandom that like yeah. then it's like like okay, so where's the importance in in a in a rivalry game when when all you were really caring about is like the end result of a a season? But I tell you what, yeah. if if Oregon State keeps knocking them off in a couple of these here and there, um, I, I I I said this on an earlier podcast. I still think that was one of the coolest things that I've experienced covering a game was like last year when there was like no fans allowed at the stadium, and Oregon State pulls off that upset, and then throughout Corvallis it was just car horns blaring like throughout yeah. the fog. It was, yeah. it was just it was just eerie and and i and i think it, and it had been so long since that rivalry had like any kind of like little fun story moments like that um, yeah other than like the stupid raincoat thing in like 20 yeah what was that 16 her, yeah that was a, that her that thing? Thing? yeah i think <laughs> yeah uh it i i know going back to the oregon fandom and stuff and and i am a ducks fan and when i'm shooting i'm behind the lens i leave that all that stuff stays at home um I'm happy to see Oregon State have success. Uh, it was nice to see them beat Washington as a native Oregonian. It was nice to see Oregon State beat Washington yeah. um, and snap snap that streak. But 
Yeah, I, I have a lot of friends, you know, I'm on some text chains in that game at Stanford and and this, you know, maybe not the, hey, we're not going to win the national championship this year because my fan, my friends that are fans are a little more realistic than actually thinking that that was probably a, a, a probability. But yes, you, just that that game going down there, losing that. And then you have the opposite side where Oregon State fans, they they're so jubilated, elated whatever word you want to use for snapping a nine game losing streak against uh, Washington. And now they're four and one and first place in Pac-12 North for the first time ever. Um, and a couple of my really good friends, one of my best friends is Oregon state grad. And, you know, he's just, this is what they want. They, the, the dichotomy, like you talk about, like, Oh, we're not going to play in the national championship to, Oh, you know, Oregon state fans now are thinking like, Hey, do we have a shot at the Rose bowl? And can, can this thing happen? I mean, they want to they want to beat Oregon every year. Obviously, they want to beat Washington. They want to make a bowl game. But now it's they're starting to set their sights on the Rose Bowl, which some hasn't happened in a long, long time. Well, that, that was something that uh, I was fascinated by talking to Smith earlier this year. And he was just saying um, just the mentality of the team wasn't that, oh, like, we're just going to make a, a bowl game. And he was just saying, like, if we think we're good enough to win six games, like, basically a, a team that can win six wins should be or a team that can win six games should be good enough to win more than that like why yeah. would we just like set our sights on like reaching six and uh i mean that all sounds like kind of like hyperbole at the start of the year or just like kind of coach speak joyous thinking but i mean shoot they're four and one like i, I thought they were going to be lucky to get out of like i thought they needed to like sweep non-conference play to like position yeah. themselves because the schedule looked tough but like they just won two of their, what I thought were going to be their toughest games in terms of like yeah. talent wise, like back to back, like that's insane. Yeah. They could, they could be two. And I mean, on paper, you look at it going into the season, everybody's thinking probably two and three right? with, you know, that, that first loss. And then you have a couple of cupcakes at home and then those two tough games that they just won and, you know, looked, looked really good and won and looked, uh, you know, undeterred, as far as what that Washington game, I mean, that, that one could have gone either way, but I, I don't think at any point in that game, Oregon state had the feeling that they were going to lose. And, and that's interesting what you say about Smith saying that, because I think that plants the seed early in the season. And these guys yeah. start thinking that same way too. And it's, and it's a way of like building confidence without building overconfidence really. And saying, Hey, if we're, if we're good enough to do this, why can't we do this rather than we're going to win the, the pack of North, we're going to win the chance, you know, setting expectations too high from the get go. And, I mean, Smith knows what he's doing. This, he's a first-time head coach, but man, that guy's his operation and the way his mind thinks, and and you know, listening to him talk and, and interviews and stuff, he's smart. He knows what he's doing, and he's building it through a confident way. It, it was it was funny because one of the last like assignments I did um, at the Athletic was me, Christian Capel, and a few others. We put together the uh, the Pac-12s ranking the Pac-12's coaching hires from like the mm -hmm. last 20 years. And at the time, like we had Smith at like, I think we had Smith at like 22nd out of like the 42. And it was just because it was incomplete because it was just like, you still looked at his, I mean, his total record yeah. was still at nearly a season below 500, but it was just like, man, like this thing could like drastically change like within just a season's time. And, yeah. and, and, I, and I think like where, <laughs> I mean, if, if they can get them to beyond just a bowl game, like maybe like get into like the holiday bowl or like one of those like higher ranked Pac-12 games uh, within like a four year span after like what, 
Anderson left them with like, <laughs> yeah, like I, like I, I, I live in Oregon. Like I, I love the state. Like I think Corvallis is a great town. Like I still don't know how they really recruit there. Like when compared yeah. to like some of these other top level programs. Um, so I, I think that's an awfully impressive, uh, turnaround for them. Uh, next question I have for you is if, if all the venues are at like their perfect capacity and environment and everything, like what's the best thing to shoot in Oregon or like, what's the best environment in Oregon? Is it, is it a Blazers playoff game? Is it Autzen for a top 10 game? Is it, is it Reeser like this past weekend? Like what's, what's Oregon at its best for, for sports here? Wow. Tyson, great question. Uh, (laughs) Thanks, Sean. I appreciate that. And you did a a story plug for the site earlier. Like this is, we'll have you back on, man. This is great. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, it must be a slow Wednesday. If I'm, if I'm popping (laughs) up here, I got to follow up like a moderate shot and Jason quick and Andrew Greif. And you talk to coach Smith and and now everybody's going to come on and say, who the hell is this? I'm I'm quickly, I'm quickly running out of people. I know. (laughs) Thank you. But but, uh, but we're going to, we're going to snake draft it though. So you'll actually be coming back on next week then too. Oh, sweet. Yeah. Uh, that's, a, that is a good question though, because I do like shooting outside, um, when it is nice and it's not, you know, you take out the, the cold and wet falls we have here. Those that's not really a lot of fun to shoot like that. Uh, civil war last year that you mentioned it, it was dry, but man, it was freezing and it was so foggy and we couldn't be down on the field. And so shooting in a situation, we couldn't see from like up in the booth. Like, I don't know how yeah. the hell you were trying to like find anything through a lens. Yeah. I, I mean, all, half of my shots, I think towards the end, it cleared up a little bit, but half of my <laughs> shots from the, from the first half was just fog with, you know, some yellow and orange blobs behind them. Um, but it's pretty hard to beat a, a Blazers playoff game. Like that game, I mentioned the Dame game winner, uh, that, that was insane. And you just feel the rush, even though I'm sitting there and I'm in full work mode and I'm trying to get the best shots that I can. And I get that shot over Paul George and I get Dame's reaction and he's walking around the court and high-fiving fans. And I'm, you know, five feet in front of him getting all these shots like that. I think it's because everybody's right, right there on top of you. And it's because it's an indoor setting and it it makes it a little bit louder. Um, and there's just, the energy is just so intense that that's, that's pretty hard to beat. Autzen when it's full and you have a a 4 PM kick, which never happens, but you get that good light (laughs) in the, in the fall. Uh, that's pretty hard to beat too. Um, and last weekend at research, it was, it was nice to have a lot of people back in there and, and a game that mattered and a team, you know, a fan base that was really in, engaged and, and involved in it too. That was, that was pretty fun. When you're doing uh, headshots for Blazers media day or like the, the portraits that you do, is that a, is that like a stressful thing? Is it like an awkward, like, like what's the small talk that you do with the guys to keep them entertained, like to, to get them into that, their, the right spots? That's funny you asked that because they asked if I wanted to do that again this year and have my own little setup. And I was like, nah, I'm good because uh, <laughs> it is kind of awkward. I don't know. Like, you know, some of these guys, like I've known Dame and I'm not like I know Dame, but, you know, he knows who I am and I obviously know him and we've had conversations and You've interactions. Yeah, yeah. 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 He might text me here in a little bit, but uh, he's, he, he's it, on, he's <laughs> on right after you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, it, it's kind of because they're just being corralled around. They go and, you know, they're being asked, hey, do this. Hey, do this. Make this, you know, you know, make your make a tough face, make a smile, you know, hold the ball like this. And it's just kind of like, I don't 
I, I know they're millionaire athletes and they're being paid to do this and it's part of the gig, but I just feel like I'm inconveniencing. It's like, Hey, okay, sit here. You got to do this. It is fun to kind of try and play with something different, but for the most part, they have all these setups and each one is just, you know, a hair different from the other one. One guy's turning this way and the light is like this and he goes in the next booth. Okay. Turn this way. Now hold the ball and the lights like this. It's like, it's all kind of the same. I mean, you can get really creative with it. Bruce did a good job this year with the, he had a plexiglass setup where he was kind of underneath and the guys were just, it looked like they're floating above him. Oh, that's um, dope. And holding I, the I ball. haven't seen those ones yet. Yeah. So you can, and of course, when you work for the team, you have a little bit more, more time space. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have a little bit more leg room to, to uh, kind of flush out these ideas where these guys are just kind of, you know, ushered into the, whatever broom closet they stick me in. And, you know, I got to try and work with some magic lighting. Um, but for the most part, like I, I tried to make it as quick as possible and quick and painless. And I get one or two shots and I'm like done. And, you know, I've had guys that are like, that's it. That, that, like, this is the best, best one I've been to because I'm fast and I don't, you know, take up too much of their time. And, you know, most of the, for the most part, the guys are great about it and they don't, they don't really care. It's just, I probably get more in my head about it than anything else. Oh man. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wish I was better at, um, I, like one of my biggest crutches is always just doing that. Like, oh, I really hope I'm not wasting your time. It's just like, you know, yeah. we're doing our job. Yeah, yeah. We're professionals. <laughs> we're good at it. Like, it's just, you know, there, there's some people who are just way more confident in, in that aspect of it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, that's, I think that's called like uh, awareness that you and I have that maybe some people don't. And, you know, that's, they don't care. They just want to get their stuff so they can have whatever it is. And I'm just like, I, I, I don't, I don't want to bother you, sir. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's just like, dude, it's, it's media day. <laughs> yeah. And I getting, uh, so used to shooting people when they're in their national element, natural element, doing what they're doing, you know, soccer, football, basketball, whatever. That's just so much more comfortable because they're, they're out there doing something, you know, rather right. than like, okay, smile for the camera. Don't smile for the camera. Yeah. It's that's well, when they're being forced to do something, it's a little different. And, and that's just like a whole nother like learned skill set for you too. Cause I imagine like at, with the, like your evolution with the camera, it was like, okay, like I've gotten really good at like shooting sports and action. And then now it's just like yeah. portraits with like lighting and, 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 yeah. and that controlled sort of thing. Like, like, Por yes, like portrait photography is a lot different than just like sports photography. Those are two different animals for sure. Yeah. Um, you got a favorite Blazers uh, team from over the years? Oof. You know, I grew up, uh, I will be 40 this year. So I've been around for a while. Um, but those, those Clyde, Terry, Buck, Duck, those teams curse. Um, I, I always have such a fond, that's, that's different. So there's two, obviously two phases of my fandom here. Um, being a kid and loving the teams that went to the 92 finals and the, and those, those teams that were so close uh to i guess I'm, I'm still a fan but i can't really be a fan because you know i work in the industry yeah, and, and I, all I, that I, but. I, I think it's a little different though like you're like because yeah. like there, there's nothing more uh i mean like a photo like a, you you can't really edit a photo to like input your opinion in it <laughs> that's true I mean? that, like, that's yeah like i'll make it look like they won this game when they didn't uh so and I, I was just so in love with those teams when I was a kid, but I, when I got into, you know, like towards uh, 18, 19 and into college and you have those teams 
with Rasheed Wallace and I love Sheed and I, and I love the Derek Anderson, Sheed, Scotty Pippen, those teams that, you know, unfortunately the Lakers just completely crushed my soul. I was at my best friend's graduation party and we're, we're up 17 in the fourth quarter. And we're like, dude, we're going to get tickets to the finals. We're, we're 17 or 18. We're not going to buy <laughs> tickets to an NBA finals game, but that's what we're talking about. And then Shaq and Kobe just completely squashed that. And that was just so heartbreaking. Um, I also love those teams. And then, the, and then they went through the Gerald Blazers era, which wasn't great, but I still, I, I watched every game and hung on every game as a, as a college student and still enjoyed watching the Darius Miles teams and the Zach Randolph and Ruben Patterson and all that. Um, and then you get to where I'm around the team more and I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of a fan transitioned into a media role and I'm interviewing guys like Nick Batum and LaMarcus Aldridge and Brandon Roy and, those teams were also fun. And, and Nate was, was a, a great interview. Well, maybe not a great interview, but he was, he was cordial. He was nice right. to you, or he was at least nice to me. Jason would probably tell you a few different things, but, um, but the team right after LaMarcus left that team that uh, they made the playoffs. Wait, did they make the playoffs? Maybe yeah. It was two, two years after, but the team where they just had signed Mo and, and Al Farouk and, and they go on and they lose in the first round, but that was a team nobody expected anything to happen because Marcus left. Like they just had Wes left. Guys, like it wasn't the same team. It was, and Dame was still there, but that team they overachieved. And though they lost in the first round, it was just a fun group of guys to root for because nobody expected anything out of them. And it was just, it, it was it was a good story. Was that the first round when they lost when they got swept by New Orleans? New Orleans, or was that later? I think. That I think I feel like that was later because there was some sort of like when they got swept by New Orleans, there was a little bit of like they blew it, and I feel like that yeah, first, that that first game team didn't have that expectation to them. I think that that New Orleans one was a year after because yeah, they got that was that was an ugly series, and I don't think anybody had a good taste in their mouth after that Where, one. Did did you travel for that one, for the New Orleans one? I did not. No, we had. I, I was just like those those NBA series, like especially when it's like a cross country one, because I remember it was like, because like the first games were in Portland, then you had to go to New Orleans, and then it came back to Portland, and then did they have to go back to? Anyways, it's just like when when you have to basically cross the country for like one closeout game, like somewhere like <laughs> yeah. that's just gotta be brutal. <laughs> oh, that's that. Yeah, Jason and Joe Freeman guys will tell you how much they hate that those games. Yeah. Those and... those. They'll, they'll, see you later things are coming they'll, they'll, they'll tell you how much they hate them and then take a look at their marriott account and mm -hmm. <laughs> i get a free trip to hawaii yeah um oh shoot i had i had one more thing for you um this is gonna be a really uh great part of the <laughs> podcast here well this is i'm sure people are gonna be lining up to hear what some photographer they've never heard of it has to say about the local sports scene i don't know man i i, I think it i think it's fascinating like you've because one in this day and age it's a modern miracle that someone's essentially been on with the same company in a journal in this journalism world for yeah. 16 years yeah like like how, like how many colleagues have you had over the years oh man no i think about it and like i ran into connor letourno at the preseason game Monday you know we used to work with him and he left for San Francisco and you left to go work for the athletic and Andrew left to go work for the LA Times and Jason has been a few places and 
I mean, I think it's Joe Freeman and I are the only people that have like actually stuck through everything. I I, and, I, I, rem I remembered what it was going to be now, and it was, it was just uh, and then to like top it off, like during the pandemic when it's all hands on deck, like you were out there like shooting the riots and, and the protests yeah. and everything. Like, what what was that like? Yeah, that's something you can't really prepare yourself for. I've, I've been in the sports side of things for so long and doing it in various ways, whether it was you know writing or or doing video or photos and then the pandemic happens, sports stop. And I'm kind of thinking, Oh, what are they going to do with me? You know, like, is, you know, is the company going to go through layoffs? Am I going to be expendable? And then fortunately they moved me off the sports side and onto what is our photo social team. And um, so it still allowed me to go out and shoot some things, but it definitely put me in an arena that I was not used to shooting. Um, I think it was like May, it was early June or late May. And they're like, all right, this, this gathering is happening um, out at Laurelhurst Park. We need you to go cover this. And I had never covered anything like that before. I'm so in, in my own lane was sports, 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 sports. And it's like, okay, there's 10,000 people or maybe not that many, there's several thousand people. And so I go out and it's my first time covering a, a march or an event like this. And I have a backpack full of gear. I'm wearing the wrong shoes and we end up marching. I think it was 10 miles oh, winding through Northeast Portland, all the way from Laurelhurst uh, over to um, the Hollywood area and winding our way down into downtown Portland. And there ends up being a bunch of cops in riot gear and they have, um, you know, smoke grenades and tear gas and pepper balls. And I don't have any idea that any of this is going to happen. And Jeez. you're just surrounded by people and there's tear and gas. You, and, you're <laughs> like, and you're like six foot six too. So. <laughs> six, seven. Yeah. Six, seven. Yeah. And so it's just, I don't know the heart of it is, and it's the same thing with sports, you just get wrapped up in the moment. And I'm so focused on trying to get the best imagery that I can. And, and I ended up getting so many powerful images, but that last summer of 2020 was, was a, a difficult one and a challenging one. And one that I never expected that I would, I would have in my career. Um, I was wearing bulletproof vests and, and gas masks and trying to shoot <laughs> the photos through a gas mask, looking through a little viewfinder. Um, uh, I ended up getting some some really powerful images and some great stuff that you know and memories that i obviously will never forget but uh it was quite the departure from shooting sports and you know being in the comfy confines of uh research yeah. stadium or, or providence park or something like that well it's, it's just so crazy because like legitimately like one of the last times that i've seen you in person it was at uh justin herbert's pro day in eugene yeah yeah. And uh, I, I vividly remember talking about because I, I think you had Oregon State's that did you have Oregon State's that morning too? And then had like a yeah, it was either that, that was morning here. or the day before. But <laughs> I just yeah. I just remember it, it was it was a lot of freaking work. <laughs> for you to, <laughs> and then and then sports were gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I had a I had a Blazers game. I think either the next day or something. And I remember us being like, "You think we're gonna be here for the next home game?" and and then know that that ended and then I got thrown into something completely different and this is the pandemic and we're out there trying to photograph how do you photograph what the pandemic looks like and that's what we were trying to figure out we're going and shooting essential workers and and doing profiles and stuff like that and then the 
the social justice movements happen. And yes, that was a very hard pivot from shooting a pro day or a Blazers basketball yeah. game to, to the real world. Do, uh, do, do you think, uh, you know, look, looking at your next, your next 16 years at the Oregonian, uh, <laughs> like, like, like uh, God, God willing, uh, yeah. uh, do, do you envision, like, do you want to do more off sports stuff? Like, like, did, did you enjoy that? Or, or do you want, want to just kind of continue like the, doing, doing just sports side? Uh, I will say I 85, 15, if I could, yeah. um, I did like dipping my toe into doing some other things cause it's it's all a learning experience and the way I view it. And it's, it's gaining new skills. Uh, I went out and shot some stuff after we had those crazy wildfires last September. And that was something I had never done before, um, shooting those marches and the riots. And I'd never done stuff like that before. And I'd never really done much profile stuff. And, and with the going on the news side of stuff, you shoot more profile things. Uh, so, sports is my is my comfort zone so i like to stick in that and i feel like i got a pretty good groove with a lot of that but i'm i do like to experience some new things but i don't necessarily need to go take photos of you know guys working at a metal, sheet metal shop or something like that yeah. just for a, a top workplaces thing but well i i don't know i i think it just makes you better too like we all do like the same yeah i mean you know, like your job's a little yes. bit different because at least you get a you 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 get to do different teams but you know, we all do the same thing so much that I think throwing a little bit of variation in there and, and just like I, I, more than anything, I think throwing you into like a, a pool where you don't know how to swim right away, I, I think yeah. gets you really good real quick as well. Totally. And that's exactly what last summer was. And, and I agree with that fully because you can get stagnant and just shooting the same thing and you get bored and then you get jaded and and then it's it's good to be challenged and be pushed out of your comfort zone and in certain areas. So we'll we'll get a, we'll get you out of here on this. Uh, who wins the foot the football game? TM trademark <laughs> this season. Uh, I I think I'm going to need to see more from Oregon to uh, before I can really make that assessment because, like you, I've I've seen every game. I was at the Fresno game and the Arizona game, and I mean, for as much talent as they have, and that that defense can look really good. It's just I don't know if we know what to expect from the offense on a given day. And last week was a fluke, you know, without Moorhead there and so many things went their wrong way, but it seems like Oregon just, they can't put their foot on, you know, put their foot on it. Whereas I think Oregon state just, they, they feel and they seem hungrier at, at this point through five games for both teams. They, there's more determination on the Oregon state side of right now. Um, so I will leave you with a tie. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a fascinating one. And, and hey, man, I, I really do appreciate you coming on. Uh, uh, for people that want to uh, follow Sean's work, he's at Sean, S-E-A-N-2-M? Uh, yeah, on in, on Instagram, Sean's Picks, S-E-A-N-S-P-I-X, is my uh, Instagram account. And then my Twitter is Sean2M. But don't follow me there unless you just want retweets of 49ers and uh, San Francisco Giants uh, coverage. I'd say follow him there. Sean's been as close to anything that's cool that's happened in Oregon sports for the last 15 years. He's he's awesome at what he does. Good follow on both. Uh, thanks for having or th th thanks for coming, man. This was this was a lot of fun. Yeah, long time uh, listener, first time caller. So thanks for thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, can't wait right. to uh, we'll have you hopefully... back next week. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> all right, all right. Hold on, I, I got Dane coming on. A... Yeah. Oh, okay.
Yeah, I yeah. forwarded him your number. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> awesome. That was great, dude. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. Listening to the I5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider.